What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. We have a very exciting episode for you today. We are in part three of the season two opening saga entitled The Siege. How's it going, Mike? Keith, it's going great. I am very excited to mm-hmm. discuss this third chapter uh, the resolution, if you will, we can see where things have gone. We we loved part two. We really yeah. liked part one. Can they stick the landing? Because really the entirety of the arc rests on whether they can stick the landing or not. You don't remember the trilogy if it sucked at the end. You really That's only true. remember if they land, if they stick the landing. So uh, a lot of, a lot of stakes today. High stakes. Yeah. No. And 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 I'm sure you're curious, and even I am curious whether Mike thinks they stuck the landing. So we are we are going to find out as we uh, as we go through this episode. But before we do, we must thank our incredibly uh, generous and loyal patrons on Patreon.com/slash/KNM, including Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, Cloud Lover sixty nine, Jorge Navoa, the mysterious Anne, and the mysterious, the mysterious, and a lot of discussion about how Anne should be credited. Yeah. So I just did it all of the possible ways. Alan Zimmerman, CRM Productions, and Charles Babbage. And uh, right after we finished recording this, uh, we we had some delays. We were going to do it on Saturday, and then I had a, a pet thing happen. So uh, we are going to be recording the the series premiere of the animated Star Trek series. I'm really excited about it. I'm really it. excited about it, too. I, I built a whole graphic. We're going to be watching it on a vintage 1970s television. Have we discussed uh, whether we we found it anywhere? Is it on YouTube? No, it's on Paramount. Okay, it is. All right, good. It's on Paramount Plus, where you can pay for all the Star Trek you've been getting for free. Uh, which is not true. Just because it was on Netflix doesn't mean it was free. We were paying for Netflix. Yeah. So uh, once again, thanks to our patrons for helping us afford the that's true. subscription to Paramount Plus, so we don't that have to bootleg true. it and break more laws. That's right. If if it weren't for our patrons, we would be breaking laws right, left, and center. So uh, thanks for keeping us out of the slammer uh, <laughs> on Patreon.com/slash K and M. Uh, very excited to do that once we are done with this. But you know, we have a very important episode to talk through, Mike. We do. So uh, I think without any further ado, let's start talking about The Siege. All right. So The Siege aired on October 10th, 1993. Uh, we were listening, and and I feel like now we've had a, about a week and a half off. I'm sure, I'm sure that Mike has gone and listened and learned. How can it still uh, be the same song? song? How? Well, because, you know, songs don't... Don't move as quickly as movies do. If you're if you're got a hit tune, you're gonna want to listen to it a few times. And of course, we were listening to Dream Lover Dream by Mariah Carey. Dream Lover, I still haven't listened. Ooh. Okay, uh, I, I think we're gonna get a, a, a copyright strike for <laughs> Twist and Shout, but we'll take it. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're right. Uh-huh. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you know, this week I have been uh, I've, I've been contemplating our next, uh, my, the next piece of information that I give every okay, week because, okay. like, it's been a little depressing, right? The New York Times headlines, like, 
I think just the state of humanity is just too depressing. And 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 we're not here for for real depressing. We're here for fake sci-fi depressing allegories, not the real allegories. Yeah. So instead of the New York Times headlines, what was the date? What going, was the date on this again? October tenth, nineteen ninety three. Uh, so as as Mike looks up what was on the headlines on October tenth, nineteen ninety three. Did the Giants win? That's no, the Keith. I, I had made this big promise about what was on TV. Oh, this right. whole thing I promised about, uh, and I've forgotten to do that. So I'm, I will, I will, I will round up what the top hits of TV were. But I'm just going to take a quick stroke through just the TV guide of that day and just point out some things that were airing in prime time, October 10th, 1993, Keith, in a new segment we call. What else was on TV? Wow. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a good jingle. I mean, that was I, I, feel I like, mean, it was somewhat original. <laughs> you're going to have to orchestrate that and make it a bumper now. Um, Keith, primetime ABC, mm-hmm. one of my ultimate faves. Okay. The New Adventures of Superman, Lois, and Clark. Ah, Lois uh, and Clark was on in 93 already? Yeah, at 8 p.m. It was prime time, baby. Oh, I loved me, Lois and Clark. Ooh, Terry Hatcher made my heart. Yeah, back, that's back when back. Dean Kane, I think, was uh, cool. Be- um, before he went alt-right. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, whatever you want to do. Just just, just keep it nonviolent. Um, of course, we had uh, 60 Minutes was rocking and rolling, uh, followed by Keith. The Philadelphia Phillies were uh, playing in prime time against the Atlanta Braves. Wow. Sports ball. On Fox, Keith, what was the headlining show on Fox? Martin! That's when Fox had their great slate. It was Martin followed by Living Single, followed by Married with Children, uh, one of my faves. Uh, And then we, of course, had Sunday Night Football, Keith, uh, which it doesn't say he was playing, interestingly enough. TV Tango, sorry about that. So anyway, that was some of the hits on primetime, so that's what we were competing against. Uh, um, Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, you know what? Hold on. I, I can actually tell you because now I'm curious. It, we have a segment. We had a segment on our other show that people just hated with a fiery passion uh, called, called sports ball. <laughs> and, and nobody got it and nobody enjoyed it. Uh, but that didn't stop me from doing it every time. The, uh, the Sunday night game was uh, the Green Bay Packers beating the Denver Broncos 30 mm. to 27. This was uh, John Elway. And I, I don't was was Brett Favre playing at that point? Let's find out. Who was the starting quarterback in 1993? It was Brett Favre. There you go. Uh, the New York Giants. Ooh, this was a great game. Beat the uh, Washington racist names 41 to seven in Washington. I remember the game well. Howard Cross cut along. All right. Anyway, blah blah blah. So uh, speaking of useless <laughs> segments, instead of the New York Times headline. Mike, are you ready for the new source of news? Because this is the internet. We uh, dubious sources of news are exactly what the internet is all for, and we all believe it, every word, right? Well, else okay. was on the track, right? Is that what we're looking at? No, that's not. No, we are going to talk about the top headline, October 10th, 1993, and that is, of course, Space Alien Baby Survives UFO Crash, uh, our trusted Source of news, weekly world news. Yes. Uh, look at that space alien, baby. It's got Oof. little pucker fingers going on. Did you just say pucker fingers? On. Yeah. All right. It's got a little I thing. I loved the weekly world news. Read it 
pretty consistently. So I'm I'm so I'm so thankful you brought that back. Yeah, well, I'm sure you've already read this issue, but there it is. Uh, new segment, please enjoy. All right, so uh, about this actual episode, this episode, <laughs> Keith and Mike do everything they can to alienate listeners. <laughs> Alien baby and eight yeah, listeners. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Demon this, seed. Yes. Uh, that's next week. <laughs> so uh, this episode was directed by Weinrich Colby, who last directed The Homecoming, the premiere. So he directed parts one and three of this series. So that's uh, interesting. Um, and it was written by Michael Piller, who last wrote on The Forsaken, which we really liked, with Robert Hewitt Wolf as the story editor, who was also story editor of The Circle. Which means it is time for the most trivial of segments. And it goes like something. Oh, no, my thing got in the way. It go, <laughs> goes a little something like this. Wow. Gross. Now Keith, waste your time. With what? With trivial trivia. Okay, Trivial Trivia for Season 2, Episode 3, The Siege, begins with uh, some more information about a certain giant spider. The Palaku spider model was a favorite of Joe Longo, who did the effects. Longo commented, the effects guy found that he was, he found the model. He was going to a garage sale and got it for about two bucks. It wasn't hairy at the time. It was a big plastic spider and mechanical, but it wasn't scary or ugly, just big. But it was exactly what I needed, so I got it from him. I took it out to the special effects shop and had them uh, put a motor put a motor in it with a remote, then took it over to Michael Westmore and had him put hair all over it and put in its teeth. The funny thing was, as I remember, that when we brought it up to Mr. Berman, Rick Berman, he looked at it and he liked it. I showed him how it moved with the remote, and it was really slow. He said he'd like it to move much faster. So I sent it back out to the shop and had them put a heavier motor in it. I brought it back up to him to look at it again, and when I got it there, I had the secretary open the door for me, and I just had the spider run into the room on its own. They all did double takes and really liked it. You uh, really only see it quickly on the show, because if you spend any amount of time on it, you can tell exactly what it is. Um which is true. Although I think that would have been much more effective had it been moving very slowly. The of the spider was bad. Yeah, if I mean, it were just moving sort of, like this. Yeah, but it's sort of in a comedic beat of the episode. So it's not really going for real scary because already you're kind of getting kind of a, a comedic beat by Dax. And so I don't know. It, it worked for yeah. me. Yeah, fair. It's fine. It, it doesn't matter. So uh, At least it's, it's practical. Only one, I like a practical it is practical. Yeah. Yes, well, they definitely did not have the money to CG a spider at that point. Because the uh, this was the most demanding effects episode of the season. Gary Hutzel commented, It was a very big show. It had an odomorph, a miniature photography combined with live action, a big phaser battle, and a flying dogfight, which amounts to lots of the effects. Um, <clears throat> which, uh, watching the dogfight again, I'm like, you know what? I was pretty damn good for 1993. Yeah. And uh, in order to do that, they had to do some uh, conceptual drawings. So as a bonus in Trivial Trivia, Mike, why don't you show them the, uh, the sketch they made of the internal ship? 
for uh, for Kira and Dax battling there. Looks pretty cool, huh? Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, it's it's amazing the amount of detail they go into on conceptual sketches. Because mm-hmm. that, that took some time. Like, that's a lot of work. I mean, and obviously just like artistic talent Yeah, uh, to and be able to pull that it's off. It's interesting that that's kind of the look there because I thought they'd need to comp at least some of the reverse shot too because they do a lot of work in that kind of front screen as well. And the movement, yep. it's it's almost a Disney ride basically is what they're doing. So very cool. Uh, they. Yeah, they might have just pulled it out from a Disney ride they'd closed and mm. slapped some uh, gizmos on it. Who knows? So uh, that is Trivial Trivia. And now we uh, we go to our next segment called What Was TNG Doing? And uh, yay, guess what? Last week I said uh, Gambit Part 1 played. Nah, that was this week. Oh, uh, Keith so already screwed week, up. I know, I know. It's terrible. It's the, the first time we did the segment, I screwed up. So uh, last week, uh, start, Next Gen did Interface, which is the episode where Jordy is distracted by the news of a possible loss of his mother while he uses a new remote probe technology to search for a downed spacecraft. Mm. Um, not, you know, certainly not one of like the legendary episodes, but I thought there was some interesting stuff there. I loved, I, I liked the uh, sort of drone the, the VR drone aspect of it, which is now very much a regular thing, but then was very sci-fi. So our guest stars this week include, of course, Rosalind Chow as Keiko. We have Richard Bamer back as Lee Nullis, Stephen Mocked back as Krim, Philip Anglum back as Vedek Barail, Max Grodinchuk as Rom, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, Louise Fletcher back as Vedic Wynn, Franklin Jella back as Minister Jaro, and our our only new uh, recurring character, our our new guest star, is Stephen Weber. Oh, Mike got it right. Mike got it as right. Day, Stephen Weber. Yeah, that I, I always get him confused with um, the Office Space guy. Yeah, I but, can see that. But they're very much not the same guy. Not the same guy at all. Stephen Weber, of course, Wings, right? That was his big claim, one of his big claims to fame that I remember, Wings, back in the mm-hmm. day. The other guy is more, uh, uh, well, he's Pirate Pete in uh, Dodgeball, or, right? Doesn't he like, is it Pirate Pete, uh, or? No, no, Pirate Pete is, um, uh, <laughs> oh, God, from, from, uh, from Firefly. Right. Uh, Gary Cole is the guy I'm always con- oh, confusing Stephen Weber with. I, I so, confuse Stephen Weber with Pirate Pete. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. Um, anyway, so regardless, Stephen Weber turns out to just be Stephen Weber, and he's excellent. He's just Stephen Weber, you know. But uh, and I, I think I always get confused. I expect Stephen Weber to be funny, but he's not the funny one. Cole is the funny one. Uh, all right. So, what do you say? We hop into our screening room and discuss this episode, Mike. I think we should do it. And here mm. we go. Feel free to use that as your ringtone, folks. You're more than welcome. To uh, imagine if you're like in a college class and like that's the ringtone that interrupts class. All right, let's do it. I dare you, folks. Okay, so in our teaser, after, of course, we have a previously on and explain where we are in the world. 
But we begin with Cisco rallying Federation officers on the station. We haven't seen hardly any of them yet, uh, but without saying it, he invites them all to disobey orders and stay on the station. But he gives them an out too, which I have to tell you, sorry to jump all right in, that my Mm -hmm. biggest excitement here was that, if you recall, one of my criticisms a little bit last week was that he was putting a lot of lives in danger by sort of like slow playing the exit from the station. But I was here, it it heartened me to know that he gave them all the opportunity to get the H out if they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, no, he he announced his plan. He was like, this extra has a boyfriend. This extra's got a baby. This extra's pissed off. Does not have a line. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have to pay these guys. Yeah. But it, it was very interesting to see how many... Federation officers there actually are on the station, which of course there are, right? Because you don't have a Federation presence with like three people. Um, But we've never seen a lot of these people. We rarely see any Federation officers other than our heroes. So of course they're there. And and it all all sort of makes sense. And he also, I like that he makes the, the little distinction that some of them aren't even stationed here permanently. Some of them are just here for a month. Right. And like, Oh, yeah, that talk about putting in uh, difficult loyalties there. Like, oh, I'm going to get killed for like this I I I'm I'm working at a Denny's over in the next town over cuz their manager's sick. Like <laughs> That's that's tough. It's tough. Uh so he his plan is to delay the takeover of the station until the Cardassian interference is exposed. It's going to be dangerous and like you said, he offers them all a chance to evacuate, but of course, it's Starfleet, none of them go. Uh, and it find, turns out we have five hours before the ships get here. But from where? Yeah. These are Bajoran ships, right? I mean, I understand that it takes a while like to travel from Bajor to the station does take that long. I don't know. It was, it, that was all a little muddy to me, but whatever. Uh, he evacuates the civilians and sets all of the Federation officers to the task which brings us to Act 1. The evacuation is underway, and the extras are all running to the runabouts. There are only three runabouts, and apparently no other ships docked there that can help evacuate. So that's it. That's not a lot of folks. But uh, Quark, of course, smells opportunity, scalping the seats. Specifically, Rom's seat, (laughs) of course. Uh, Jake runs into Nog. They're being evacuated to different places. Jake is distressed because he keeps having his life blown up by these conflicts. And it's right. I mean, the, I mean, thinking how he was on a starship, then Wolf 359, and then he had to move here. It's a lot going on there. And I, there's a great um, beat here with Nog, too, where he gets to Jake, Jake. Whereas Jake is usually the kind of the voice of reason here. Nog gets to be like, hey, they can't, They our parents couldn't mess up this bromance uh, killing, attempt, attempted murder on Odo couldn't break up this bromance. This little Titanic moment's not going to break up this this bromance. I'll see you on the Lusitania, baby. That's right. Damn right. And uh, he says, uh, no stupid French thing will keep them <laughs> apart. Of course, a coup d'etat is what is happening. And he points out that no Ferengi and human have been better friends than them. And at this point in the history, it's probably true. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, which is which is interesting. I like that. Um, just a little wrinkle there where, like, kids are just friends. But actually, this, it is kind of historic. So we go to O'Brien's quarters, 
And Keiko is super pissed oh, at Miles. She's for- pissed. She's like, hero? Hero? Hell no! You better... But, and then again, though, Keith, when you see that baby, who can leave that baby? Starfleet be damned. I know. She's pretty damn cute. Uh, so she's pissed he's going to stay to fight. It's also understandable, but he's in Starfleet. That's the deal. Uh, so we feel the stakes mounting for the danger that we're under here, um, which I love all of these little beats, right? They're, they're little interpersonal beats. They're little emotional beats, but every one of them reinforces like, we don't know if we're, what's going to happen. We don't know if we're ever going to be on the station again. Like people are going to die. Like this is, the stakes are very, very high. And I thought that that was a very good way of introducing all of these things. Um, and, and giving a sense of grandeur to mm-hmm. the storyline. Yep. There's, there's something about that. And it's, it's, it's sometimes these little interpersonal scenes which give the weight. I think about Best of Both Worlds, where um, Picard just tours the ship. And, and he has the conversation with Guinan. It's a very quiet, simple scene. But that makes the stakes feel much more dire and much more important than all the pew-pews and the whatevers. Um, so I really like that. So we head to Ops. And Dax tells the team that all transmissions are jammed to the planet. Which, of course, their objective is to out the Cardassians for having done this. Because most of the most of the people in the circle don't know that the Cardassians are doing this. And we'd be pretty pissed to find out. Uh, so Lee Nollis has the idea that there might be a couple of tiny ships stashed on a moon during the occupation. Um i.e., how do we get the message to Bajor? Because all of the the runabouts, the Federation ships, are busy evacuating folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cisco asks if Dax, if any of Dax's hosts can fly the ships. And turns out one of them can. Of course. So that's that's useful. I mean, uh, I imagine like if I had eight lifetimes, it would just be useless trivia. But if like any of your previous hosts had any useful skills. It's also a good way to like, as we'll, as we'll come to learn to team up uh, Kira and Dax on an away mission. Cause we haven't really seen, we've seen that a couple scenes at the bar and helping each other out and being gal pals, but we haven't seen them as sort of heroes together yet. And, you know, we've talked about earlier, they show likes to mix up the buddy cop episodes right. and we haven't got the Kira and Dax buddy cop yet. So I'm excited at this point to see where we're going. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's it's great, and, and passing the Bechtel test with flying colors. But didn't like, of course, O'Brien is there, and O'Brien is available. He can fly just about any ship, so that seems like a wasted opportunity. I guess he's busy. Well, well, but O'Brien's engineering skills, sabotaging and monkeying with the station, are probably more useful there. Yeah, you're right. <clears throat> but uh, so uh, then Odo shows up with Quark in tow. And he caught Quark scalping seats. And Cisco literally grabs Quark by the throat. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't grab him by the collar. He has his hands literally around Quark's throat. Uh, that was not a move a Picard would have done. No, but I mean, Quark did take multiple people's lives in his hands and kind of disregard them here, so... Oh, I'm not saying that I, I I'm not saying I don't understand being pissed at Quark here, but it is a very like you know, look, we're we're drawing lines between Kirk and Picard yeah. 
and and Cisco. And this is where one where Kirk might have done it, but Picard definitely wouldn't have done it. And and it's it's interesting. It's actually one step further than that, right? Because you remember everybody else got the option to get out or to or to stay, right? Quark not given that option. One of his penances here is that they're like, peace, too bad. Rom got rid of your seat. Man, sucks to be you. I guess you're sticking around. Yeah, well, I mean, that's uh, he sold the seat. That's that's what happens. <laughs> Bashir calls from the airlock, and there's panic at the lifeboats on the Titanic. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, you know, Mike and I met doing the uh, the national tour of the musical Titanic. So mm-hmm. we know a little bit about panicking at the lifeboats. <laughs> we do. Yeah, we both died. We sure did. <laughs> um, where was I? Uh, Quark naturally, of course, sold more seats, more tickets than there were seats. Um, and it's it's interesting here because there are more people on the station than they can evacuate in that amount of time because of only having three ships. Um, I imagine the Federation might want to look into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's not good not to have enough lifeboats. But uh, the good news is that DS9 is unsinkable, so. It is unsinkable. Yeah. It's, there's no way. There's no way. Um, so the shouting starts. It escalates until Lee Nollis shows up and gives an inspirational speech and calms them all down, basically saying, hey, Bajorans, you don't need to leave. Um, you know, it's all, the, the circle doesn't, doesn't start, they're not coming for you. You have time. You can do whatever you want to do. Like, you're safe. Let the non-Bajorans off because the racists are coming here. Mm. Um, and uh, and it turns, and he's becoming that leader that he doesn't want to be, but actually it turns out he's now serving the purpose uh, of the Navark, which is what they what they wanted. Then uh, Jake shows up, and Cisco gives him the "If I Die" letter. And it's all very ominous. It's another one of those like escalating the stakes beats mm-hmm. here, um, and I, I think it's it's really it's really strong. Um, yeah, it's good because it gets you thinking. It's a bit of a red herring ultimately, but it gets you thinking because you're like, this is three episodes into the second season. Are they going to kill the captain, the quote unquote captain? I guess we'll find out. Well, I mean, we're gonna. I mean, I think as we've we've found out already, like people die that you're not expecting to die. Well, I mean, maybe it's not that. It's not maybe quite it's Game not of setting Thrones, that but. stake, but maybe it's you know. Let's look at it a different way. It's 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 giving them an opportunity to have uh, Ben say, "I'm willing to die. I'm ready to die. Willing to die, mm-hmm. and we'll go. To, I will go down with my post to do the right thing." And showing him as a responsible father, right? That he he wrote the letter. He gave the letter. He said, "Don't read it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't." You know, and it's all subtext. He's like, you know, give it some time. I leave you my some- shitty bathing suit from episode one. <laughs> it would definitely fit in your luggage. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but he's like, you know, like, he's not saying, read it if I die. But that is the subtext going on there. Um, it's well done. Then, of course, Quark shows up with a suitcase full of money, uh, but uh, the lifeboat's full. Turns out Rom gave Quark's seat to a Dabo girl and <laughs> abandoned him. So Quark is getting his comeuppance. However, he does get a giant suitcase full of money. So it could be worse. So we begin act two. They get and right in on could, it too. Here we go. Yeah. I mean, let's like tick tock, right? The uh, Bajoran ship shows up. 
Krim arrives with a bunch of soldier extras who are doing way too much. Oh, they're doing a lot. But I will say this. This goes for the whole episode. We'll talk about it later, but it starts here. They were like, we spent so much money on these practical sets that are effing huge, but we rarely show them all in one episode. So this episode is our first chance to kind of get to see all of the goodies. We get all the runabout set. We get an off-world set. We get to see all the giant rooms on DS9. We get to see uh, the Bajoran Palace uh, of the Kais. We get to see it all in this one episode, and it's shot brilliantly, lit brilliantly, just just really cinematic this episode. Well, and also at that's the screenshot that we're showing here. Uh, the that's an angle. I don't think we've ever seen of the promenade. Yeah. I don't know if we've seen the promenade ceiling yet. And look how friggin' cool that is. Yeah, that's huge too. Like it's, maybe that's it's well shot. Like they give it the kind of a wide aspect ratio there, but or a wide uh, depth of field. But it is big. It's big. I mean, but that's that's and and that's not like James Cameron's where you're you've got a like you've got eight feet of it and then a mirror which continues the pods going down. That's all there. Yeah, man. That's all practical. And I'm sure it's a pain in the ass to put the ceiling in. Because usually you fly out the ceiling and you use your lights there. Um so just to it seems put, like they got some sort of a grid up above the kind of quote unquote glass there so that they have some options in lighting. When it's not showing oh, for the sure. ceiling, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I I would be very surprised if when they're shooting normally, that's in there. Yeah. Um, because you, you're going to have shadows and blocking and, and, and limitations. Uh, but that looks amazing. Yep. That that looks fantastic. Uh, Mike, talk for a second. I'm going to check and make sure my basement door's closed. Okay. Uh, so here's where I get a little bit confused when I was watching the episode because I thought that... Uh, the Cisco and this dude on the left here had like an understanding, but uh, it turns out I wasn't completely wrong or confused. He, he they did have an understanding, but I think uh, bec- he's clearly not in on the plot, the Stephen Weber plot with uh, the the, the canceled Langella. So uh, yeah, so I think he thinks he's in the right. They're doing the right thing for Bajor, Bajorans here. Right. Well, and that's and that is the interesting. You know, your your best villains don't know they're villains. And in this situation, he's not really a villain. He's just been given bad information. And and we set up in our previous episode in the little beat that they have where he clocks that uh, Cisco's not trading information for Kira, mm-hmm. that he is an honorable person with bad information, which is not, not true of uh, Stephen so, Weber. Or- so as it stands right now with this siege, this... Um- the Bajoran provisional government is also on board. The provisional, the provisional government is in sort of uh, no. It's a, it's you know what that's a little bit murky. What is the provisional government's? Because they're fighting the circle, which is doing the coup. Um, but the. So is this dude here on the left, not Stephen Weber, is dude on the left who's like a high commander, right? Right. Who he was fighting against the circle. Is now part of the siege? He's part representing of the, the circle? So he's he is operating on Jaro's orders, who nobody knows is the head of the circle. And but so Jaro, non-circle Jaro, Jaro. In general, what's his 
what, what remind me what his political slash military standing is? He is, I, I think, I forget it was JD or somebody else. Like he's sort of like a senator. He's not. He's not the leader of the government. He's like a senator, probably, you know, leading up the circle end of things, but not officially with them. I, I think there's a, there's a lot of wink, wink, nod, nod going on here in terms of the the loyalties here. But yeah, that that is a little murky. Because I was confused when he when this guy and I forget his the character name. I apologize on the left. Krim. Yeah, when he rolls in, I was confused. And I was like, I clearly missed something, wasn't paying close enough attention to the sort of machinations of the coup plot and why he's in on it. Because I thought he well, I thought he represented the military might of the provisional government, but I guess he not. He does. He does, but he uh he's underneath Jaro. So Jaro is in charge of the mil- So I basically this is where a military coup where the military is used as a tool by whoever's in charge. So Jaro is in charge of him, and he's like, I don't even know what side is what side. I'm just following orders. I report to Jaro. Jaro says, do this. So they're not looking to, to kill anybody. They're hoping that this goes smoothly so because, well, and their understanding is that Ben was like, we're going to get the hell out. Starfleet was like, we're, we're going we're gonna to evacuate the place. So Right, yeah. right. So Jaro's like, Starfleet's getting out, take over. Okay. Um, I think is where that's going. But you're right. That that is a little. That that's more than a little murky. Somebody somebody smarter than us. Yeah, I, I don't it. know that it, it'll qualify as a wormhole, but I think it's going to be. It's it's a nit to pick, perhaps. Well, but I I think it speaks to how messy coups are. <laughs> well, it's just like hot take. messy and your loyalties and you know it's like uh, I mean take take what happened here right. Like Pence reports to Trump, but the minute the coup starts, they're on opposite sides, but they're not on the side of everyone else. And like, is the millet who's who's in charge of the military yeah, yeah, yeah. to defend the Capitol? Like, it's very confusing, and uh, you know, it gets it gets really murky. Like the the support the police people are now killing the police. It's it's like it's a big mess, and its loyalties are really confusing. So that is what I'm going to um, put it under there. So. Anyway, so uh, the soldiers show up. They're also joined by Steven Weber, who mm-hmm. is Krim's right hand. I play Jack Nicholson in the TV movie version of The Shining. Uh, did you did you see Steven Weber's version of The Shining? I saw uh, memes making fun of it. That's about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, 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 Stephen King didn't like the original version, Kubrick's version. And I get it as a an author myself, if you monkey with my stuff a lot, like I understand. Well, there's monkey with I'm, it a lot and then like change it entirely. Two different things, really. It changed it entirely. Uh, did make a masterpiece out of it. And the Stephen Weber TV movie version of The Shining. Less so. The uh, Anyway, we're continuing on. <laughs> they think the Federation has pulled out. Um, so uh, they are confused as to why the station is abandoned. Uh, and I'm I'm confused. Where the Bajor- where are the Bajorans that Lee Nollis said to stay? Because they're walking onto a completely abandoned station. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess they're just like hanging out in their quarters. Like, I don't want to, I don't want any piece of this, which is what I would do. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that, like Quarks isn't open, so. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, fair enough. 
So, uh, but then of course we see our heroes are hiding in the duct work as we expected. So we head to the moon. We see here it's the same cave set as every other thing we've ever seen on the show. Oh, we got to use and, it. Uh, it's, it's an it's an all skate today. Well, it, yeah, exactly. Well, that that set is a standing set for all Star Trek shows and got used a lot on Paramount. Um, Dax and Kira search for the ship, and we learn two things: one, that trills are very vulnerable to insect bites, uh, which would make sense. You know, because like if, because you're you're trans, you basically they've they've had a transplant. Yeah, they're on all those anti anti rejection meds, anti rejection stuff, and like you don't, I I would, it's a, it's a little wrinkle that I don't know how much thought was put into it, but it actually makes a great deal of sense, and I I like it. It's a nice little piece of trilvia. TM Keith Varney, right here, lock it. Well, while you while you while you chew and swallow that one, let me say I really dig there I, I sensed a beat shift here and it's been it's been slow coming but it, I've I've noticed it up to here but really kind of taken full uh, to make a weird analogy here you'll remember in like in the sort of grander Marvel Cinematic Universe at some point they were like you know what let's make Thor funny and one and they just yeah. like changed the character and it worked it and then they kept it it, it rescued the character yeah I don't, I'm not going to say that it rescues her, but I like that at some point they were like, you know what? Dax can be funny. I think Dax is a little sassy and a little funny. Mm-hmm. Put it in. And uh, Keith, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I was watching some videos on uh, one of the Star Trek celebrations uh, that just happened recently. But this this interview was from a couple of years back. What's the actress who plays Dax? You don't know. I, I don't have the actress's names memorized yet. Sorry, no, I do not. How do you not have the the actress's name? Because I'm in the universe of the show, Keith. You did this on our other show too. It's Terry Farrell. Terry Farrell. It, it was fun because she was talking about how in the beginning when she was hired. And I'm sure you know all this, everybody. I'm talking to, but Mike's learned. Mike's on step one. Look, part of the show is watching Mike discover all these things. So. She was talking about how when she was hired, she was it was much more she was hired as a model and not as an actress. And she goes through the mm-hmm. audition process and how it was kind of a thing and how even uh, the showrunners were looking for models and they were going through models and how she really felt limited by that. And at some point, she decided to take ownership of the character and take ownership of her performance. And it seems like it's starting now because mm. uh, it looks like it, she's just kind of having more fun with it. And it's very, yeah. very much less, you know, a lot of the portrayals of alien races we see as as Starfleet members is, are like your, your Data and your, uh, well, Geordi was a little different, but just people who uh, are really analytical and kind of one note, you're not getting that, right. you're not getting that here. She really is, to sum it all up, Keith, she's having fun, a lot more sass yeah. and quippiness, and I'm I'm digging it. No, and I, I think that is, I think you're picking up on exactly the truth, right? That that more of Dax's personality is coming out, more of Terry's personality is is starting to infuse Dax with some more of that. Um, and yeah, 100%. And it's not the first time that's happened on Star Trek. Because if you, for those of you who, uh, for TNG folks, season one Riker mm. was a stone-cold, hard-ass, no-smile, like burnt, 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 burnt. 
until they discovered that, oh, Frank's is like really funny mm. and like a relaxed, funny, like the, he'd be like, burp, 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 and then like they yell cut and he's like relaxing and goofing around and like, making everybody laugh. And like, oh, why don't we incorporate some of that into Riker? And that became oh, much more cool. of the character. Um, so it's, it's, it's really cool when you see that as an opportunity and not something you have to like crush to fit. And your, that's not limited to just, to just Terry, ter, 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 to who Farrell? Terry Farrell. Colin Farrell. Terry. And, Colin uh, Farrell. Yeah. Yes. And it's not limited there because even starting last episode with that sort of sitcom-y beat in the first act, uh, the whole cast seems to sort of, as an ensemble, are starting to really gel with one another and it's becoming a lot of fun. Yeah. Yep. Yep. For sure. Uh, <laughs> the last thing I said, we learned two things. I said one, didn't say two. 20 minutes later, I'm going to say there are giant silly spiders on the Majoran moons. And uh, this is where I point out what I said before. It would have looked way cooler if it were moving slowly and more ominous. But it was like, kick, 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 kick. whatever you said, fine. So they find the ship um, in a, actually go, go back one from them finding the ship. This shot here, which I think is is fantastic. I wonder, because they were talking about blending miniatures and practical effects. Is that a miniature uh, that we've blended in? Because if so, it looks amazing. Like it, really good I effects can, there. You know, I can look at it both ways. I can see it as a practical shot entirely, but I can also see it as a mixed composite. Yeah. Uh, both really look great. So whichever yeah, way I'm not sure to, which if anybody which, knows, let us know. But it looks great. It looks looks terrific. Um so they find the ship, and it's old and rickety. And Kira starts firing it up as Dax helps. Uh, back on the station, we uh, see Krim and Weber discover that the security net has been disabled. Mm. They're trying to find Odo, who was also missing. Krim is naturally suspicious. Then we check in on which, Jaro. Which I enjoy because it shows that they're not dum-dums. That they're not... Right. They're not just like cackling bad guys who don't see the good guys in their plan. Like the, the other thing I wanted to mention before and I forgot, and I had mentioned it in real time to our patrons who check us out at, at patreon.com slash KNM. Mike watches Deep Space Nine. I, what I thought, what my worry at in act one was that mm-hmm. as much as I love seeing all the sets and the big stuffs and we're getting the big battle this week, clearly, because it's episode three of the arc, we haven't, with the exception of one episode, the Pew Pew's battles have have been are generally less than uh, satisfying. It's not Star Wars. Yes. So and this is clearly called the siege. It's there the attack is coming. It's gotta have battle sequences. So I'm a little concerned about if we're resting our laurels on that. However, once I see everybody in the duct worked, I'm getting all the Assassin's Creed vibes because Mike loves mm. a uh, a a what do you call it a stealth adventure, mm-hmm. and yeah. the fact that we've got it, you know, we've established in the stakes that we're outnumbered, outgunned, that uh, this, we're going to need the stealth, and I, I'm I'm loving that those seeds are planted, and here we go. Yeah, no, and and it's there's something really fun and satisfying about a like sneak around sabotage. Pick them off one by one, because um, that's how we did it as kids, right? When you got your fake, you got your play phaser. You're hiding around the, you're in the basement. You're under the pillows. You're behind the thing. That's mm-hmm. that's how you do it. 
Yeah, yeah. Keith, in the if woods. only I had a phaser here that I could pew pew you. If you only on. you had a phaser, yeah. Stay tuned Saturday for our next review. Uh yeah, and 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 to finish the thought on what you said about like why it's so much better that uh that Krim isn't a dum-dum. So that it's not like a Swiss family Robinson finale where like you're where our, our our heroes are so far ahead mm-hmm. of the bad guys, it really isn't much of a challenge. This guy, he, he kind of picks up on what's going on almost immediately. And that makes it more interesting. So uh, then we check in with Jaro, who wants to celebrate, but Krim says the battle has not yet begun. See, Krim knows what's what. Jaro reminds them not to kill Lee Nollis to prevent him from becoming a martyr. Showing some political savvy, mm-hmm. even if he's lacking a little bit in the, uh, the 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 military savvy. And of course, Wynne is there in her kick-ass hat. Love that hat. Love it. That, like, what that does for the character, it's fantastic work from the Akasin design. Um, they go over the scheme, and Jaro says that 26 hours after he has taken over as the new leader of Bajor, he's going to make her Kai. Because so, we all know that Bajor has a 26-hour day, Keith. We learned that early on. We sure did, which, of course, the station observes because they are in Bajoran space. We also learned that they didn't count on everybody having seen parts one and two of the episode because they sure as heck just recycled this entire beat from last episode uh, just at a different location with different lighting. Look, first off, Mike, <laughs> there's no Netflix, there's no Hulu, there's no DVR. Yeah, you're right. So it, this was syndicated, which meant it was on in a different different time and station in every city, unless you like are able to queue up that 1993 VCR and set the auto record. Like, that shit was hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, trying to like, and... Here's the thing, you know, for the kids out there, setting the VCR's, like, schedule to to record was impossible. (laughs) Absolutely impossible. But then, right, let's say I want to record, I want to record a hockey game, right? And it's the playoffs, which means if the game goes to overtime, they just keep playing forever Mm. until they score a goal. And your VHS tapes, guess what? They run out. I mean, you can put it on super extra long play, but then your the resolution's like ugh. resolution's terrible. So, like, in order to be sure that you, you hope that you got it all, you have to put it on SLP, the super long play, which is you get six hours as opposed to two. But it's garbage. garbage. And chances are, like the the VCR is not going to remember to turn on and record it anyway. It's anyway. Blah blah blah. We're old. I used to, see, guys, so two things. I remember my first VCR, which was so old that it didn't even rewind. You had a separate machine that rewound mm, for you. Yep, you had yep. to take it out and put in a separate yep, machine to the rewind The rewinder, yep. sure. That's how I knew my friends were rich, because they had a rewinder. Yeah, dude. So, and then my last VCR that I had was like the first, it was like an archaic technology that it sort of sensed the difference in volume between the, the, the main feed of the show and then when the commercial switched over. So it tried to intelligently assume where the commercials Ooh. were and it would stop and fast forward through the commercials for you. And it, I would say it worked like 65% of the time, but it felt like magic. Wow, that's pretty hardcore yeah, for a VCR. Cool. Yeah. yeah, well, there you are. There's your, uh... but I feel like, 
Most of the people watching this probably also had a VCR. VCR memories in the comments below. V- yes, VCR. Yes, absolutely. Drop us your VCR memories uh, because. Yes. Or like something really important that you set to tape that just got biffed. It was like, but you recorded the wrong thing or it started early or ended early. Or the one time, the one time I was like, not. A hundred percent sure my father wasn't going to literally physically murder me was uh and I, I still I feel I feel like shame over this still to this day. I recorded over like one of one family videos accidentally and recorded an episode of Star Trek over oh, it. Oh no. Gone forever. I, I'll tell someday I'll tell the story. I was looking for a blank oh. tape to record something and I found one that had XXX on it, which to me Ooh. said blank. <laughs> and and let me tell you, at that point, those that XXX was just as precious as your family videos, because that was hard to get your hands on. Mike Mike changed as a human being that day. <laughs> All right, let's continue. <laughs> let's continue. VCR stories. Tell us all your VHS hopes and dreams in the comments below. Well, let's please, for the love of God, get to Act 3, where we head back to the moon, where Kira and Dax have the ship up and running, sort of. Uh, it's, It's pretty funny old tech. Dax is just punching stuff, and she's freaking out, and Kira's like, eh, whatever. Uh, I like it. So we head back to Cisco's office, and Krim and Weber argue about what to do while we discover that Cisco's baseball is still on his desk. Mm. We all know what that means. Mike, what does that mean? It means Cisco's person must still be there. He wouldn't, yeah, leave, it, wouldn't leave his ball behind. That's right. It means I'm coming back. This is my desk. This is my desk. Uh, get so your buck bakai out of here. Yeah, get you. <laughs> Trilvia, TM, Keith Barney. <laughs> I'm so proud of that. Buck bakai, I don't know about that. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's good. Okay, so the ball's there is what we're saying. Yes, more more fondling of Cisco's balls. So uh, then the power goes off. The sabotage starts. Cool. Weber sends out search parties for the saboteurs. Then we go to the ducks, and O'Brien is talking about how awesome combat rations are, but they're (laughs) terrible to everyone else. You would think that 500 years into the future, we can travel faster than light. We can beam ourselves here and there, but the combat rations still suck. They don't got a Pop-Tart anywhere? We can't find a Pop-Tart. And that's all the... the and, and they they had the forethought to bring combat rations and they have replica. They couldn't like just they've been there. They've been hiding for like two hours. They couldn't like replicate like a sub. Or how about they don't like, have like a, a you eat before. I mean, if it's like a, is it that desperate two hours in? We can't you didn't have a snack from the replicator before. I'm sure they've got a Wawa's. Yeah. Just go and get yourself a sub. <laughs> tuck it in your bag. And you've got, you've got all the. Why are you immediately eating the combat rations? But uh I will say, I think how long did they expect to be hiding? Well, they didn't know, right? It could have been any any amount of time. But remember, the ticking clock started at five hours when they began this. So they've been prepping for five hours, which means they probably finished like right before they showed up. So they have, by my count, been in the tube here for like 20 minutes. (laughs) 
God like, we damn, I'm hungry. Eating. Somebody get me a snack. Get these emergency rations. <laughs> oh my God. But I, I've, have you eaten an MRE? Um, no, I did have that freeze dried like space ice cream way back in the day. Oh yeah, I I had a I had a, a friend and at like at this time whose dad was like a military nut, and he would uh, like he had all these MREs the the military rations and so like we would have them for dinner sometimes. Kids, woof, <sighs> creepy. Anyway, uh, yeah, there some of it was okay and some of it was not, but it was all very, you know the. Military. All right. So uh, anyway, the Federation officers are now in civilian clothes, naturally, because they are not operating as Federation officers. Uh, Odo calls and says there is a security patrol going through and Odo pops out of the friggin wall in uh, what I think is a fantastic effect. Yeah, T2 style. I mean, how cool is that? And so... How cool is it? This is this is where they're using Odo's abilities really smartly. And I think really because he's able to spy and tell them exactly what all of them are doing because he can just melt himself into the floor. Pretty cool. Very cool. And I love that effect. That, that that's cool. I love that. That's that's badass. So, excuse me. Bashir and another officer wait until they get into a cargo bay. Then they ambush him and take the patrol prisoner. So this is how they're going to do it. They're going to sneak around and uh, take prisoners and take all of them. And, and you know, we don't know how many of these uh, overacting extras there are occupying the station, but it looks like it's maybe like 20, 25. It must be coming in waves because my I, my understanding, and I, this was a little confusing, it Just it's kind of up there with where are the Bajorans that stuck around. They made it sound like there was an overwhelming number of Bajorans coming for the siege, and it never feels that way. I mean, it feels like there's a bunch of them, but it never feels like we're that outnumbered. So maybe they're coming in waves, and we just get it done early. We're just buying yeah. time to, until we can get Kira and Dax with the information to the provisional government. Yeah, well, I, and I, I think that it's more of a political thing because the station, well, we we know already, like, it does. it's not really— designed for defense. It doesn't have a lot of defensive things here and there, but uh, it probably, had they stayed, had the runabouts, and de- they probably wouldn't have been able to defend the station at least for a while from these, quote-unquote, attack ships, but the Bajoran attack ships, they don't really have much of a Well, military. and we weren't, we wouldn't have really been too much of a defense because we were told not to, and I don't think Ben's going to go full. And that's why, it's a, yeah. that's why it's a political thing, mm-hmm. right? So they're they're not defending it as much as they would because of the uh, the geopolitical implications and the fact that the Federation told them not to do this. So I think that explains why they're handling it this way. Um, so in the little ship, Kira Well, and hold on. I Dax, want to show you this. Oh. It's funny that this is just one screen apart from each other. And yeah. The comp isn't as good, you can see. Like the way the lighting changes and all, it's it's not it's not great. No, the 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 shadow is there from kicking the, from the grate. Oh, the grate's what it is. Yeah, okay. I think that's practical. I don't think that's a comp. Okay. I, I think that's actually actually is what it is. Oh, we're hiding in the barrels. Yeah, and the people pop out of the barrels. It's 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 very uh, the, the the barrel hiding is a little silly. It's a little it's, silly it is a little. You know what? But still, it's it's fun though. I mean, 
Did you watch the Disney Swiss Family Robinson when you were a yeah. kid? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the end of that, which I, I, when I was a kid, I was like, this is the greatest 10 minutes of film that has ever happened, the final attack. And I went back and watched it when it was on Disney Plus. I'm like, oh, God, this is so unbelievably racist. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't pick up on that when I was 10. So um, I love how they all thought that Bashir couldn't handle this thing. Like, it wasn't like this was a huge uh, tactical, strategical win. He just kicked out the gate and was like, freeze. Yeah, well. Uh, O'Brien doesn't have a high uh, belief in Bashir. Well, no, because, you know, at this point, we've only we've only begun to transition away from just like dumb, dumb, horny Bashir yeah. into more competent Bashir, which thankfully we are actively doing. But uh, anyway, so uh, in the little ship, Kira and Dax get near Bajor, but their navigational sensors are down. Kira doesn't care because she's a badass. Then they're under attack by two other ships. And Kira's like, I've dealt with this plenty of times, so she's going to head down into the atmosphere. But we get a little of, like, pew-pew ship battle here. Yeah, which is cool. And I really liked that last shot there, the point-of-view shot, right? From It's it's smart from a technical stand, standpoint, right? Because when you're looking through the screen, you have a lot less screen to fill with, the, with these special effects. But it also, it feels very claustrophobic. And, you know, I I think they're very... Star Trek doesn't always do this well, but in this episode, they did really a really good job of only showing what they could show that looked well, looked good. Mm-hmm. They didn't show us stuff they couldn't pull off on that time frame and that budget and that and that uh, technology. So I thought that the ship battle looks, looks great, um, all things considered. So uh, in Act 4... On Deep Space Nine, O'Brien and Lee Nellis have come under attack. There's a phaser fight where O'Brien apparently does not have a plus five against Bajorans, only Cardassians, because all of them shoot everything, but all they hit is the one pipe in the middle because the effects team needs to have something for the phaser to hit. So it just keeps hitting the same pipe. <laughs> uh, but, you know, look, we, we have to deal with practical stuff. Um, uh, none of them can hit anything. Uh, Cisco shows up to help. One of the other guys sets off a smoke grenade to give them a chance to escape. Um, but we, you know, okay, pew pew. It, it would have been a little cooler if they had more options on where the fa- see, because it keeps hitting the same damn pipe. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, because like I, I think from the effect, like having the because the phaser beam would just go on in perpetuity, so it had to hit the wall behind them. And they're like, we don't have time. Just hit the pipe over and over. Um, then Odo turns into a tripwire and knocks the bad guys down, which so clever and so like middle school. Yeah. But I love it. I mean, you know, again, using Odo's powers effectively. He's and like Stretch Armstrong. Exactly. They're They're taking such great pains not to kill anybody and not to like harm anybody because of the geopolitical implications of doing that. So they have to sort of do middle schooly kind of, you know, trip and falls. Um, so it makes sense. I, you know, I love how they're using Odo. So back on Bajor, Kira and Dax are in a firefight in the clouds. And like I said before, it looks really good for 1993. And they shoot down the first fighter. It, we rarely see... Uh, at this point, I don't know if we have ever seen a firefight in an atmosphere. Before. Definitely not POV like this. It looks great. 
it looks great. And, you know, it changes the lighting. So the set that they, because almost always you're shooting in dark space. So the set is going to be lit very darkly. So it doesn't have to hold up to sunlight. But in this case, they did have to hold up to sunlight. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's cool. I really, uh, I really liked it. Um, but of course, then they're hit and they are going to crash land. I thought that shot was fantastic. Super cool. Yeah. Like really cool. They crash land and we head back to the station. Oh, this beat and- was hysterical. They got a little fire extinguisher, but it's got one squirt <laughs> in it. That's it. That's hilarious. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, they're able to like keep a funny buddy cop caliber. There's sort of a, sort of a tone here while they're going through all this craziness. Uh, so we head back to the station and Steven Weber is in Quarks and they find out that, uh, hey, one of the hollow suites is in use. They enter and discover Cisco and the crew conspiring in the hollow suite. Obviously, it's a trap, uh, which they walk into like dum-dums. Krim is not a dum-dum, but apparently all the rest of them, especially Stephen Weber, is a dum-dum. And, uh, of course, they're now trapped in the hollow suite. And Cisco, this is where, this is the key moment here. Cisco tells them that the Cardassians are supplying the coup with weapons. And they beam Stephen Weber to ops, ostensibly to tell Krim and cause all this to end. Uh, but he tells Krim that the Federation is behind all of this and doesn't tell Krim about the Cardassian involvement. So now we know Weber, he's he's in, he's read in on the uh, on the intrigue here. So he's now lying to uh to Krim. But they do realize in this moment, that all of our heroes are actually hiding in the conduits. So now they're in trouble. We begin Act 5. On the surface, Kira is hurt, but Dax won't leave her behind. They hide from a security team, and Kira passes out. Um, Which, I mean, they're in a plane crash. The fact that they just hurt that much was uh, was, was Fortuitous, yeah. Fortuitous, but then again, we don't know. But it, like, we don't know what their safety. Uh, there's no seat belts on no. Star Trek, so I don't know how. I know they have inertial dampeners, whatever that means, but whatever. So uh, Odo, back on the station, Odo calls Cisco and says they're going to start flooding the conduits with anesthesine gas. Uh oh, Cisco realizes that their only move now is for Lee Nollis to convince Krim that he's on the wrong side, uh, which is kind of what this is all about. So uh, we head back to Bajor, and Kira wakes up on the Bajoran Monastery. Turns out the security team was Beryls, and he has rescued them. So uh, sweet boyfriend Beryl got it done. And he has got a plan to get them into the Chamber of Ministers by dressing them up as Vedic's and escorting them himself. Yeah, give me this action figure. Who's listening? Mike wants it. Mike wants a Dax in a Vedex robe. With Bajoranos. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know that this custom figure exists. I have seen it online. Uh, Somebody has made this. Mike wants. And probably both of them. So uh, there it is. 
we're when we are we're basically going to spin off look at my Star Trek toys and to look at Mike's Star Trek toys now. <laughs> send me. Get send my address to- and send me this figure. <laughs> No, no, all the figures, all the all the exciting figures come here, man. That's the this is the mothership. <laughs> Deep space mine. <laughs> so uh that's bad. So we head back to the station, and Quark is moving too slowly through the conduits, which <laughs> this is another like wormhole for later. They can only flood one conduit at, at a, time. a time. They start on with an S- deck gas. five for for whatever reason. Why like they're not capable of just flooding all of them with the gas. They've got like one guy, like a, he's got like a little tube, like, okay, okay, here we go. And it goes in the next deck. Also, doesn't it seem like Quark, if he were a little bit brighter, if, if you can't get off the ship right now, why don't you just like stash your silver, your platinum bars, latinum bars somewhere and come back from later? Like, you'd think it's a giant station and there's only about 12 of the bad guy extras. Yeah. And I feel like Quark probably has a hidey hole or seven mm-hmm. on the uh, on the station, but it's a comedic beat. You got to do it. Yeah. So uh, Bashir makes a yo mama joke to Quark, and Quark tells Bashir the thirty first rule of acquisition, which is Michael, don't talk about my mother. Yes, never make fun of a Ferengi's mother. It is interesting because a. Quark's mother will eventually be an important part of the series. And uh, played first by a Broadway legend and then replaced. We'll talk about that more later. But the other thing about the 31st rule of acquisition is that the number 31 will eventually be very important to Bashir. (whistles) But we don't know that yet either. Okay. So there it is. Keep, just keep, keep a... Put that in your noggin and uh, think about think about when the number 31 comes up again. Okay. So then Cisco calls and tells Bashir to make a big distraction before they're captured at airlock 14. So uh, they set up a fake fight when Weber, of course, sends everyone to section 14 to do the fight. But then they get a call saying they've already won the battle and have taken prisoners but it's a ruse. And our heroes are just trying to get Krim alone. So uh, I don't know why Stephen Weber decided to send... I mean, they only had 12 extras to begin with. We've already captured eight of them. Yeah. So he sent all of them there to uh, to the distraction. But from a strategy standpoint, we totally get it. You know, get the leader alone by diverting people over so we can get the lead now to chat with Krim. So we head back to Bajor. Kira, Dax, and Beryl show up at the Chamber of Ministers. Which is also huge and awesome. It, I mean, sort of. I was expecting Congress. That looks like a staff meeting. You know, yeah, I guess you know. I mean, I get it from a production standpoint, blah, blah, blah. They don't have the money, that you know. But I was expecting like 300 people on a giant thing and they have like a conference table. But, uh, I mean, it looks great, but... After all of this, there's only like 10 ministers. Okay, well, Keith's got complaints, but uh, more importantly, we we spill the beans here. We tell them what's up, and apparently we've got the, we've got the receipts, because in the future, receipts matter, Keith. Ah, <laughs> exactly. Kira does her speech. Jaro tries to squash it. But Vedic Wynn, of all people, 
says, no, what? We should investigate. So Jaro is forced to give in and investigate. So we head to Ops, and Weber shows up, and Krim is pissed that uh, he didn't tell them about the Oh, well, we also can't forget when, when Jaro does the right thing, does the political thing, and he says, I totally support this investigation, as he's literally running away. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting wins play there, right? Right. And uh, I have a theory as to why she did that, and that is her political instincts are really smart. Mm. She's the rat who knows to get off the sinking ship. And she she made the calculus before everyone else, like, oh, game's up. Let me be the first one off. And she does. And and like you see her her political skills and instincts are very, very sharp, is what I took from her being the one to uh to pull that off. So uh anyway, we head back. Krim finally has found out the truth. It was the Cardassians behind, and the circle is broken. Uh Krim immediately turns the station back to Cisco. Then Weber pulls a phaser and tries to shoot Cisco. He ends up, of course, killing Lee Nollis, who is just thrilled not to have to go into politics. So what did you feel about this resolution? I, I should have seen it coming, but I didn't see it coming. And I, what I, what I think, I think it works. It's kind of what we wanted at the season finale. We needed some sort of a, a, a savior death there. But I thought it was good because already the circle had been broken. Already he had fulfilled his political sort of legendary status. But right. now he gets that martyrdom. And I think that this is what it took for him. Even though he had kind of achieved, he had he had been he had been heroic. He had done his served his duty in the episode prior. I think right here you can see his expression here, even in, in this performance in this still. Here is where he for him it checks the box. Like you know what I did it. I I now I'm dying for the cause. I saved someone's life. Like it's I feel fulfilled. So I thought it was cool. It was a cool personal beat for him. Yeah, and it also. The, the I think the resolution of the bigger picture with the circle and Bajor, like it's it's very Star Trek and uh perhaps uh, more true in nineteen ninety-three than it is today, where like just the truth and some information is enough to quell something like this. That this that these the people in the circle just the information that the Cardassians were behind it was enough to be like, oh shit, we were wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, uh, you know, that's that's not really something that uh, exists anymore. But it is very Star Trek to believe that information, knowledge is enough to stop something like this. But at least it's to stop this plot. Like we do get both big bad politicians with different kind of uh, gamesmanship uh, exiting that scene, clearly not not finished being big bads. So, oh no, no, certainly not. So, uh, anyway, so later, Kira is sad that Lee Nollis could not save Bajor, and Cisco reminds her that there are hero heroes all over Bajor, including her. Um, which is, you know, which makes sense. And and now, if you if you look at what Kira specifically has done for Bajor 
you know, by 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 quelling this and all the occupation, she kind of is a really big deal mm-hmm. um, for for the Bajorans, and she just doesn't see that. Uh, so Cisco then tells O'Brien uh, when he asks, like he was just a normal dude, tells him they're going to keep the legend of Lee Nullis alive for the history books, um, which it again I think is a is a really um, you know deeper and more complex concept of this than than we're used to because like you know history being written by the by the victors of course and and that our our history is a tool as much as it is a record mm. um and i think that that is uh interesting it's an in- interesting little little beat here and uh of course the evacuees arrive and we have our happy return and the end of the three part Homecoming, Circle, Siege, Trilogy. Which means, before we uh, we start throwing out some uh, self-sealing stem bolts, it is time for Mike's Star Trek Vocabulary Quiz. And now it's time for Mike and Deglio's Star Trek Vocabulary Quiz. Your first phrase is Inestazine Gas. Keith, do you have a pesky problems with your Starfleet commanders hiding in your in your shafts? Mm. Only way to way to get them out. That's with imestestine gas. Uh, only problem, spoiler alert, you can only do it one floor at a time. So make sure mm. to sh- flush them out fifth floor down, baby. Yo, yeah, okay. Do you have an infestation in your shaft? <laughs> well, use anesthesine gas. That's gross, Mike. Your, your next word is palaku. Oh, boy. Anything I say might be offensive, so I'm going to just say I don't know. Uh, It might be something you would eat on a Bajoran moon. Is it a big furry spider? It's a big furry spider. Okay. The uh, It's interesting that the Bajoran moons have atmosphere. But uh, I suppose that's uh, entirely possible. All right. That is Mike's vocab quiz. It is time to come along home, Michael. Okay, here we are. It is time to wrap it up here in Quarks. Everybody tip back a Today, it's a Dr. Pepper Cherry Zero, which is a green can, which always seems like, because it looks like beer, but it's not. All right. So, uh, Mike, were there any wormholes in the plot? So, as Keith and I said earlier, it's a little murky as towards the sort of Bajoran interests and who's running the show. And, you know, as Keith said, we're, we're chalking that up to, to, to Coos be messy. Mm-hmm. Um, be messy. Hashtag. For me, it's also, I guess, not a plot hole so much as a little bit of a disappointment as I really wanted more Cardassian sort of in- interest and involvement in the resolution and the plot. Like, I know that they were mm. sort of just like the other element that it, – it, it, and clearly Jaro know, knew that he the Cardassians were helping out. Or, oh, yeah. And, and didn't care because it was the ends justified his means – but it felt like 
it felt like we could have more fun, right? We've got our Gal Dukat, we've got our other Gauls. Like, I felt like we could have more fun there. So I guess that's a, it's more of a missed opportunity than a wormhole. It makes sense why mm-hmm. they did it. Um, and I guess they can, they have plausible deniability too and just say, oh, it was a few bad apples trying, you know, like, um, we'll see. We'll see if there's fallout from that. Uh, outside of that, I guess, you know, it's always just small strategic stuff, right? That, that Keith and I mentioned. It's not wormholes so much as just kind of like, tropes oh well we can't have the the bajorans be dum-dums so we recognize that uh they don't have their own scanners to figure out where they're at like i guess they tried to techno babble us why they could hide in the shafts and nobody knew it but once they find out they're in the shafts they can only flush one floor at a time there's little stuff like that where you're like "Eh, okay or they go into a hollow suite and they don't think that they're holograms Eh, okay um but, you know, and also it's this big siege with hundreds of people and we, we're outnumbered. We're so outnumbered. We got to get blah, blah, blah. But there's like 12 of them. So, you know, practical mm-hmm. things like that. But nothing that took me out of the world. I thought that on the whole, the plot was really coherent and succinct. And and I felt the stakes. And I felt like the pacing was just as good this episode as it was last episode, which was a highlight of last episode. So I, I, was, I was pretty happy. Keith, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I think the wormholes I, I sort of pointed out. Um, you know, the, the messiness of the intrigue, um, was, was a little confusing. Um, but, uh, you know, again, coups. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think the limitations of this episode are the limitations of this episode, uh, you know, in terms of the, the budgetary limitations and the scale of it was smaller than I was hoping. Right. Um, because again, there are only twelve guards. We, we we were never clear on what was, you know. They said attack ships. Well, how big are they? How many people are on them? What what are they even necessarily trying to do? It was all kind of muddy, and um, and I I think that they, I guess we're talking about the 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 end here. But it's like if if you're gonna do Die Hard, there's a better version of it. Like I, all the beats are correct. Like they got they they got all the beats right. It was just a little muddy, and and I think that 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 all could have been better. Um, but that's that's really, it's it's less of a wormhole than a crystal. We'll 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 go on to let's let's go to best moment and then we'll we'll circle back. Okay. Mike, what was your best moment? It's funny we 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 approach this so differently than like the best best part of the episode. The best moment for me. And it's, it's I'm starting to feel like a broken record. It was those intro beats. It was the stakes setting because because I thought that, you know, I love the buddy cop stuff with Dax and Kira, but I felt that the scene with Jake and Ben and the scene with Jake and Nog were the most impactful for me. And once again, mm-hmm. they're two hander scenes where we're just establishing emotional stakes, which highlight and represent the geopolitical stakes on a grand scale, shrunk down. So they worked for me. I really specifically liked the Nog and Jake stuff. I think maybe Nog Jake is like the best romance we've had on the show. We have on the show. I really enjoy just their friendship, how it's growing, and how they recognize how unique it is. I thought that was the wrinkle we got this Mm. week that I thought was really Mm, special. And and I love that they let Nog be the sort of initiator of the the Pollyanna, the 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 inspiration here, rather than have it be Jake as it always is. So a really cool flip. I really like it. So I'm picking Nog Jake uh, in the first or second act. 
Yeah, I, 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 I actually agree with you very much. Like that the, the initial stake setting was great, and I don't think the episode paid it off. But but when I was watching, like, oh yeah, shit's gonna get real. Like the stakes are high. We don't really know what's gonna happen here. That was when I was most excited in the episode. Um, and that and that part was was I thought the most uh, impactful for me. So uh, let us hand out some self sealing stem bolts and talk more about this show, this episode in general. And now we can look at the whole arc because we've now seen it all. Yeah. So I think that the main flaw, if we if we start there, is what you just said: is that the setup in episode two and then in the first quarter of episode three really set the stakes higher and set the potential fallout higher than we ever breach. It's sort of yeah. like we talked about in the first in the first uh, episode of the arc where there's this big intriguing like don't let's not forget when Kira and O'Brien go to rescue Linalis in the beginning, She's like, this is a suicide mission. Like, if we don't right. get them, it's over for us. And then it turns yeah. out to be kind of like, kind of easy. That's sort of what this feels like. Like, that's a microcosm of what the whole mm. arc ends up being. Yep. We've yep. really set up these incredible stakes. We have these incredible bad guys. We've got, don't forget, we heard like what we thought was thunder in the sky last week, but it was actually like firing. It was a war taking place. Yeah. And then when the war gets gets to us, I mean, and, and then Ben's like, here's the I'm going to die letter. And Keiko's yeah. like, you're never coming back, O'Brien. We, we're something. If they had, if this wasn't the first arc of the season, like if they had put this in the latter third of the whole season, I'd be like, oh, people are dying. Like, yeah, main cast members sure. are on the block. Nobody gets hurt. A couple people jump out of barrels, and Linals <laughs> dies, which is, I right. think, I think, probably less moving because we don't really ever get to know him, or like we understand yeah. his importance, but. He does not. It's like okay, Linals. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. But I feel like at least that felt that arc felt completed, and it, it was a real great shortcut to get Kira back. Right? Like, oh well, the Navark's dead. We you're back. Yeah. We assume. Um. So that's my biggest disappointment. Now, the stuff that I think really worked well was once again, like I said, they're putting the money on the screen. Uh. Here's all our sets. Here's all the stuff we built. Here's our. Here's our. Here's everything we got. We're putting it out there. Um, I wish we had had an opportunity to use some outside fight choreography again because we've mm-hmm. learned in the first episode how effective that is. Yep. I like yep. that we didn't overdo the pew pews and stuff. We we stayed within our limits, so nothing was hokey. It, I mean, underused. Yes. I also feel like maybe there was a better. If we were going to do guerrilla warfare or like outsmart them, there was maybe a better way to outsmart them. Like, you, let's use well, technology or science or be something. more clever. Yes, be be more clever because because it does end up feeling a little. There's nothing there. There, like even mm. even the the it it felt like the intriguing stuff was was the away mission, right? It was Dax and Kira. Like that could have been its own that could have been a separate episode entirely of the the adventure they were on because that all felt a little shortcutted and um I don't have a pro- as much a problem. I don't think you said it was a problem. It's it's just our present doesn't really support how effective that evidence and them outing 
this circle evidence was. mattering to anybody's yeah. political beliefs? That didn't bother me as much because, <laughs> like, it's kind of it's sort of like the West Wing, right? It's competence porn. I love that stuff. Uh, that right. that, that yeah. that's no, 100%. an itch for me. Uh, yeah, but for I did sure. feel like the adventure to get there eh, could have. I would have liked to have seen that more because, like we said, the resolution was sort of like, oh, they were behind it all along. Oh, you've got it on a data pad. Oh, okay. You know, it all felt a little easy. This episode ended up feeling a little easy. The resolution was a little easy. The danger that we we set never is really recognized. So I would say ultimately it was a little, it didn't feel like there was as, as much there there. Mm-hmm. That said, I thought the pacing was good. I really liked a lot of the character beats. It looked great. Um, there's not much you can really ask for. It was a pretty satisfying arc entire, and it just just the gumption and the balls to to open your season with an arc like that. That's like really steeped in just a lot of like political intrigue. I thought was was pretty badass. So I'm overall pretty impressed with the arc. The episode, I still think it's the second strongest in the three parts. I think the second episode is the strongest mm-hmm. part. I would yeah, say the opening sure. is the weakest. So where did I rank last week? Last week you gave an 83.5. Yes, and I was a little high. So I'm going to go 80, straight 80. I'm going to give it an 80 self-sealing stem bolts. Keith, okay, take a, it away. a straighty for Mike. Yeah, I, I think I, I think you've articulated it really well. Um, that it's, we we do so much setup of the stakes we talk about the stakes. We 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 reference the stakes. We set up the stakes, right? Both interpersonally, who's you know, like, are, are we going to survive? Are we going to get back on the station? Is Bajor going to be taken over by by extremists? Or is does that mean Cardassia is going to take back over Bajor? Right? That like enormously high stakes through all of this. But uh, at the end, you're right. There's no there there. It's it's all easy. Like the af, after we set up, like oh god, he gave Jake a death letter. Then it's all like through the whole rest of the episode. And uh, as our as uh, as good old Jr. from uh, from the wrestling world would say, it's all sizzle and no steak. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that is it's it ends up being underwhelming. It ends up being like wait, that was it. Like you set up this huge thing going on, like oh, it's going to be so exciting, and then like, huh, yeah. Like every time, every time I watch the circle going into the season, I'm like oh hell yeah, can't wait for what's going to happen. And then it's like oh, okay, yeah, it's fine, whatever. But I just don't. Um, it doesn't follow through on what it promises that it's going to do. Um, so yeah, everything you said, I agree with a hundred percent. And I, th- I think that's also true of the character of Lee Nollis, right? We set him up before we meet him. Like, oh my God, it's going to, here comes Lee Nollis. Here comes Lee Nollis. It's going to be a big deal. going to be a big deal. Then he shows up and we, we get the twist. Like, okay, that's interesting. And then he's just sort of there, right? And so we're, it's like they say in writing, don't tell us, show us. They, we we're told over and over and over again how important Lee Nollis is and how how exciting this is all going to be and how the stakes are so high and then and then they don't show it to us they just keep like trust us he's a big deal trust us yeah. and then when you see him it's like huh 
right? And I get the point that they're making that he wasn't actually a hero and what, you know, I think the couple that O'Brien and Cisco have at the end about like, we, we make our, we make our heroes serve, you know, we, we write the story to serve. I get that. Um, you know, and I, look, I, this is going to sound like I'm like criticizing an actor, which is not really what I want to do here. Like, I'm not, I'm not here to like shit on the actors. Right. Um, and I thought Richard Bamer did a perfectly fine job and he's a he's a perfectly good actor. But I just think if you put in a more dynamic actor into that role, I mean, yes, the material given wasn't that dynamic either, especially after the after the you set him up and then he's got like three lines, the rest of it. But I I don't know, I don't know who you cast in that role, but like, you know, put Brian Cranston in that part. Right. And it feels very different. And I, I, I think, like, the character and the performance and the costume, it, it matched the costume. Kind of gray and kind of blah. So, yeah. like, I, you know, like, if they made an action figure, we're like, okay, I'd get it just to complete it. But I don't I don't care. I don't, I don't like, it's, he's not on my top 10 list, not in my top 50 list of a character I want an action figure on, right? So, because it was sort of like, eh, all right, fine. Whatever. Yeah, I just didn't it. didn't care very much. So, um, however, the this this arc I think was ultimately disappointing, right? But the themes set up and the track we're laying will matter in stuff that will be much more satisfying and much more exciting. Okay. Um, and I think um, watching Win operate. That's important. Watching Cardassia interfere in things—that's important. Um, I, I think the 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 instability of the Bajoran government—that's going to be important, and all of that is going to play out in much more satisfying ways later. Um, so, yeah, I was I was disappointed by the siege. Every time I watch it, I get excited, and then I'm disappointed. Um, so. For that, you get 72 self-sealing okay. stem bolts from me. Not for nothing. So, also, we, yeah. we've had a lot of missions now, and I'm going to need a little clarity at some point. We've had a lot of yeah. missions where we need to like sneak through somewhere or get somebody mm-hmm. somewhere or whatnot. And I keep forgetting, we've got this shapeshifter, right? Like, could could Odo not have just taken the information, turned into a little scurrying animal, and like ran to the High Council without having to put on robes and be a pope? Yes. However, two things. One, uh, you, you still got to get there. You still have to get a ship. You still have to get him onto Bajor. So all the things that would have happened uh, between Deep Space Nine and getting to Boreals would still have had to happen. Okay. Because he can't, like, fly through space. And two, and I think more importantly, he's not Bajoran. Yeah, Okay. And people are not going to listen to they don't they don't know who this guy is. It's just like a random dude. Saying, and I guess yeah, it's, it's not effective for him to scurry off if he needs a partner anyway to fly the ship or whatnot. He can't. He right, can't. He can't. In, okay. All right. Yeah. So you needed it needed to be Kira to give that information to have the credibility to get through. I'll allow to, it to the uh, the company meeting at the uh, at your local Waffle House. <laughs> I mean the 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 Bajoran Senate. They're really important. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So next week uh, is invasive procedures, where we are going to uh, 
continuing with uh, with some trivia and getting some. Uh... <laughs> Love it. I earned that. I earned that mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, so next week, Invasive Procedures. Um, if you would like to see more of this nonsense, and including what we're going to record next, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash K&M. Spell out that and. Uh, lots of fun stuff there. But more importantly, you're helping support the show and, and helping support us. And that is the type of support that we really feel and appreciate. So uh, we will be back next week with another episode of Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Check out our toys show uh, also here on your YouTube feed. And if you're listening to this in the audio only version, uh, thanks for thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, But we are also available on the YouTubes where you can check out, uh, you know, our uh, our faces doing this, which I understand why you wouldn't want to. So (laughs) till then, this has been Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KM. <laughs> <laughs>